next. Well, good morning, fellowship. Good morning, Curtis. Palm Sunday. Did we realize it's Palm Sunday? My outline's up there. It should remind you that it's Palm Sunday. And I, uh, I have to believe that if it was Christmas next Sunday, that we would have plans this week. We'd have plans maybe every evening and every day. And we would be rushing and trying to be ready for the birth of the Savior. But next week, we will be saying, he lives. So Palm Sunday is important. It's an important day. And it is the first day of the Passion Week. And so I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to start with a question. What are your plans this week? It's the Passion Week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we find ourselves here worshiping you. Studying your word. Prayerfully furthering your kingdom. I pray that you would open hearts. That hearts have come prepared to receive your word. The truth in your word. And that you would be glorified by all that we say and all that we do. And we hold this up to you. In your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, our passage this week that we're going to be in is in John chapter 12. If you'd like to turn to that. And I'll read the passage to you. I'm going to be bouncing around quite a bit today. Um, if you want to write down the scripture references. I've cheated a little bit. A lot of the times when I tell you to turn to a passage, I have it written down in my notes. Because I've uh, promised my God. And I've also promised my bride that I would finish on time. Oh, which, uh, which is a rarity. So uh, chapter 12 of John, we're going to start in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not! Daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. <clears throat> His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So Palm Sunday, the beginning of the Passion Week, your Bible calls Palm Sunday the triumphal entry, does it not? Is that the title up there? Of course it is. A day unique like no other day in the public ministry of Jesus Christ. A day that is one of the few that we find recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John pen their perspectives as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Before we look at Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, let's set the stage for this unique day. So the Passover is just a few days away. The Jewish people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So all over Israel, right, if they could afford it, they came to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jerusalem and the surrounding area, because Jerusalem wouldn't house everybody, so the surrounding towns would swell to two million people. But this Passover, Jerusalem had a reason to swell that much more. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And as John eleven forty five 45 tells us, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. And once the Pharisees heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, verse 53 tells us, they made plans to put Jesus to death. So take a look at John eleven fifty five through 57. So it's just, just back a little bit. This is one of the ones that I've cheated but it's a previous chapter. I've got it written here. Now the Passover of the, Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. So it would seem uh, Jerusalem swelled more than usual during the Passover in hopes of glimpsing Jesus, right? These people want to see Jesus Christ. And they're excited, wondering, listen, is, is he going to come? Is he coming to the feast? But hoping that he's going to come to the feast, both. He was all the rage. He was all the rage, right? Years ago, I was at the Safari Club convention, and in the distance, I saw maybe 100 people moving around, moving around, working through the crowd. And I thought, who is that? And in time, President Bush one came by me. And the whole crowd just followed him. And all I thought of was Jesus Christ, right? But there are hundreds, thousands that were following Jesus by this time. John 12, 1 tells us six days before the Passover, Jesus was in Bethany, which is just about two miles from Jerusalem, right? So if we're looking at Jerusalem from the south, you'd be looking, cities on the left, the temple on the right, Kidron Valley drops down, the Mount of Olives, and then Bethany. So it's really close. Everything's close together. He's at the feast, he's at a feast in honor at the home, in his honor, excuse me, at the home of Simon the leper. And with him were his friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now I'd imagine in their minds, they expected Jesus to stay there through the Passover. He'd go into Jerusalem, spend his time there, and then stay outside. But Jesus had other plans. So let's look at the first division then, John 12, 12, and 13 the praise. And I'm going to read uh, John 12, verses 12 and 13 to you. 
The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. We see the next day, and it says the large crowd that had come to the feast, right? The next day. Chapter 12 begins with six days before the Passover, which makes this day five days. Five days before the Passover, five days before the cross. Now, this crowd is the crowd that we see just above in verse 9. Verse 9 reads, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the feast mentioned in our passage today was the feast that was held by Simon the leper. It would appear that there was a feast in Bethany going on. Quite possibly the dinner held at Simon's home expanded to a large feast. And some commentators look at the wording here in John and they say that Lazarus was kind of there in top secret because everybody wanted to see Lazarus. Jesus was the rock star, but Lazarus was in the band, okay? <laughs> Believers, a group that started as those that had come with Mary to the tomb of Lazarus, who witnessed Jesus call Lazarus back from the dead, right? These are these people that are there and they're hanging out. And as John eleven forty five 45 tells us, they believed in him and their witness spread. It went to other people. So when the Jews heard that Jesus and Lazarus were at Simon's, they went to Simon's home in Bethany and the dinner turned into a celebration feast. I share this because many of us have heard in the past the same people that cried Hosanna in verse 13 would cry crucify him just a few days later. But this doesn't seem to be the case, right? It doesn't seem to be the case. Look at John uh, chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, right? So these are believers, these are the faithful, these are people, disciples, becoming disciples. Maybe they're going to be disciples at Pentecost, okay? Who they believed Jesus to be and who they wanted him to be would be revealed in their cries as he rode from Bethany into Jerusalem. And this ride was unique in the public ministry of Jesus Christ. Listen, up until now, Jesus had mostly kept his identity as the Messiah veiled. In Mark 1.24, when the demons proclaimed him to be the Holy One of God, Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent. Later, when Jesus healed the deaf man with a speech impediment in Mark 7, Jesus charged them to tell no one. When he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he gave strict orders to tell no one. Even when Christ asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And in John 6, after feeding 5,000, we're told, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
Even as late as John 11:54, we're told, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. This was in response to the religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus. Okay, he's staying away. But this day, Palm Sunday, was different. Jesus would no longer slip away into the crowd. He would no longer say, tell no one of this miracle. This day as the crowd cries, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees will tell him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus will reply, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It has changed. It is Palm Sunday, and it is the Passion Week. So this large crowd that was at the feast heard that Jesus was truly coming to Jerusalem. The speculation was over, and they came out to meet him. John tells us they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Matthew tells us most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Mark adds that they threw their cloaks on it, speaking of the colt, and many spread their cloaks on the road. It seems a bit odd for us today, but laying one's cloak down for a king was an ancient act of homage reserved for a king. And we see this actually take place back in 2 Kings 9.13, and you can look that up later, 2 Kings 9.13. But what about the palm branches? What about the palm branches? Calvin tells us this, the palm was a symbol of victory and peace in antiquity, but it was also normal to use branches of palm trees when they conferred kingship on anyone or when humbly asked pardon of a conqueror. But these men, seem to have taken up branches of palm trees as a sign of joyful, joyfulness and happiness at a welcoming a king. Okay, so they're joyful and they're happy about welcoming King Jesus into Jerusalem. Now remember, Israel was under Roman rule at this time. In conquest, the Romans were different than the Babylonians. They didn't conquer the same way. The Babylonians would remove a conquering people, right, take them off into exile, and then transplant their own people into the land that they'd conquered. The Romans, on the other hand, would leave the people, set up their own governors, and allow the people to stay along with their, excuse me, along with their religion as long as there was peace, right? The Romans were happy with their tax, and Caesar being called king. That's the way they operated. Now, Passover was a tense time for the Jewish leaders, as well as the governors that were installed by Rome. Why? Because Jerusalem swelled with national pride at the Passover, right? Took them all the way back to Egypt, back when they were slaves. Slaves to Pharaoh. This was like the 4th of July for 9-11. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. And Christ's arrival in Jerusalem like this could make a peaceful Passover one of rebellion and uprising. 
Look at what the chief priests and the Pharisees say back in 1148. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they don't want this going on, right? They don't want it going on at all. Jesus arriving as king was not the Passover that the Romans nor the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, wanted. John tells us in our passage they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Matthew tells us the crowds went before him and followed him, excuse me, shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Mark penned this, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And Luke shares this. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had done, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So, Hosanna means save us. Save us. In John, they quote Psalm 118, 26, when they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a messianic psalm. And then they call him King of Israel. Matthew adds that they called him a prophet. All these things are true, are they not? Every one of them are true. So what they shouted, was it a good thing? What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Luke chapter 19, verse 21, or 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, this is speaking of Jesus, he wept over it, saying, what would, the, what would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are what? Hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. And what's he say? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. They did not know the time. Israel wanted an earthly king. They wanted to be saved from Rome. And they recognized Jesus as a descendant of King David. Did they not? Yet Jesus wept. 
They did not know the time of their visitation. They missed why Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. So then on this Sunday, on this Palm Sunday, whom do you say that he is? You cry out to Jesus to save you from this government? Do you cry out to King Jesus to make this life better? Or do you see him just as a prophet? I had a roommate that said that Jesus was the greatest man that ever lived. Listen, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, or he's the biggest liar that ever lived. He's exactly who he claimed to be and who the scriptures said he was. Or he's a liar. Did you miss it? Did you miss it? Let's continue on. Let's look at the prophecy. John chapter 12. Let's read 14 through 16. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Both Matthew and John mention the prophecy here in verse 15, which is found in Zechariah 9.9. You can write that down. It's probably in the margin of your Bible, but Zechariah 9.9. And it was penned some 500 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt. Now, prophecy is a word that we hear in church. And uh, truly, it's a word that we hear in secular culture, in books, in movies, and even in, at 9-11, right? They were talking about prophecy and did 9-11 fulfill pr prophecy. Well, so then, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? Prophecy is pre-written history. Prophecy is pre-written history. At the time of their writing, 27% of the Bible was prophetic. When the books were written, each book, at the time of their writing, 27% of the Bible in, a whole, in its entirety was prophetic. There are some 1,817 prophecies of some nature in the Bible at the time the author wrote the scripture. Fulfilled prophecy proves the word of God is true, as well as proving that Jesus is without a doubt the promised Messiah. More than 20 Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled within one 24-hour period at the time of Christ's crucifixion. Only God knows the future. And the reason God knows the future is because he has foreordained the future. Prophecy proves that God is sovereign. But what does that mean? What does sovereign mean? God is sovereign means that God is in control of his universe and determines the outcome of all things according to his own wise purpose. It means he has absolute authority and rule over his creation. It means nothing is outside the scope of God's rule. 
and it means he controls and guides all events for his glory and the good of his elect. It means God does not adjust his plan according to the events of human history, nor does he wait to see what man will decide before he acts. It means that God's decree governs history. Knowing God is sovereign is the greatest of comforts to his disciples. Now, we love to talk about the book of Revelation. And we love to talk about prophecy yet fulfilled. But the greatest fulfillments of prophecy, prophecy took place at the first coming of Jesus Christ. Not the second. Not the second. Steve Lawson gives us a great list of prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would be born the seed of Abraham, Jesse, and David. He would be born of a virgin called Emmanuel and born in Bethlehem. Great persons would come to adore him. He would be preceded by a forerunner, and he would be anointed by the Holy Spirit. He would be a prophet like Moses and a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would be entering public ministry in Galilee. He would be entering publicly into Jerusalem and come into the temple. He would live in poverty, meekness, tenderness, and compassion. He would be without deceit, full of zeal, working miracles, and uh, bearing reproach. He would be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. The Jews and the Gentiles would combine against him. He would be betrayed by a friend. His disciples would forsake him. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. He would die under intense suffering and be silent under suffering. He would be struck on the cheek, spit on, scarred and mocked. He would intercede for his murderers. He would die, but not a bone would be be broken. He would be buried with the rich and his flesh would not see corruption. He would be raised from the dead and ascend back to the right hand of the Father. These prophecies were recorded hundreds of years before his birth. Prophecy concerning the Messiah were fulfilled before he was born, while he was in the womb, and while he was in the grave. The deity of Jesus the Messiah has been called the most provable fact in all of history. Fulfilled prophecy proves the Bible is the very word of God. Turn with me to Luke 19. And this is one I have to turn to too. Let's look at Luke's account on this prophecy fulfilled. I'm going to read 28 to 36. Luke 19, verses 28 to 36. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. 
And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So did Jesus make arrangements with the man to use his colt? Was the man very familiar maybe with Jesus and him being called the Lord? Or was the man unknowingly controlled by the sovereignty of God? So I believe there's a chance, right, that he had made arrangements. And it's possible but not probable that the man unknowingly responded. And I would suspect the man was a disciple of Jesus Christ and knew him as Lord and responded as such because the Lord needed it and he obeyed. Understand all three possibilities don't change the fulfilled prophecy. But in fulfilling the prophecy, we see Jesus display his sovereignty. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever rode a donkey, but it's doubtful you've ridden a donkey that's never been ridden, right? We moved to Northern California. The people that my parents bought their home from left their donkey in the pasture for a year or so. I suspect their new place, they need to get their fences built and what have you. Now, we were repeatedly told by my dad, now these people said that they rode the donkey. I think my dad was setting my brother and I up, right? <laughs> my brother and I tried to ride that donkey time and again. And Yak Yak the donkey loved to be petted, right? And he was a nice donkey. But there were no eight-second rides for my brother and I. <laughs> Ever, right? We were off that donkey. Jesus fulfilled prophecy by riding the colt and proved his sovereignty over his creation as the colt that had never been ridden calmly transported its creator. Did you notice that? Did you see that? Because the Passion Week is all about the sovereignty of God, 100%. Jesus had calmed the sea. He'd walked on water. He'd made the blind see and the lame walk, healed a withered hand, and he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. And he rode into Jerusalem. He rode in sovereign over all his creation in control of everything that was going to unfold for the next week. King of kings and Lord of lords. So then how do you respond to fulfilled prophecy in the Bible? Think it's happenstance. The chance of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the major prophecies are the same as covering the entire state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars, painting one of those silver dollars red and asking a blind man to reach in and grab that one red silver dollar. The probability of Jesus not being the Messiah is mathematically impossible. 
You understand that? It is mathematically impossible. So we've looked at the praise and the prophecy. Now let's look at the popularity. Verses 17 through 19. Let's turn back to John chapter 12. Seventeen through nineteen, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him." Those that had witnessed Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb and others came out to meet him because of it. Raising Lazarus from the dead was key as the Passion Week began. God was sovereign over it and he foreordained raising Lazarus from the dead. And let me explain. The change in public ministry that we see as Jesus rides into Jerusalem was twofold. First, the prophecy must be fulfilled. But second, Jesus must be crucified on the Passover. He has to be. And understand, the chief priests and the elders wanted Jesus dead, but not until after the Passover. That was their plan. Remember in Matthew 26, we read about the plot to kill Jesus. Matthew 26, 3 begins with, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. But man's plans cannot thwart the will of God. He will lay down his life on the Passover as the Passover lamb. Look down a little further in our passage in John, John 12, 23. It says, And Jesus answered them, The hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In this passage, Jesus is talking about his death on the cross. Now let's turn back to John chapter 11. You don't have far to go, right? Print is big like mine, so you can read. It's maybe a couple pages. But I'm going to read 11, 1 through 4 to you. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her feet, excuse me, his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said this, This illness does not lead to death. It is the glory of God, 
so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus died for the glory of God, and so that what? So the Son of God may be glorified through it. God in his sovereignty used raising Lazarus from the dead so that the Son of God and the Son of Man will be glorified through the death on the cross. The death of Lazarus and the popularity prompted the priests and the Pharisees to move to crucify Jesus Christ. He raised Lazarus from the dead, sovereign over all of his creation, so that he would be the Passover lamb. And I want you to understand this. Palm Sunday was an important day leading up to the Passover. Not just because the Pharisees realized they were gaining nothing. You see, it was the 10th day of Nisan. Okay, Curtis. Why is that important? Okay, here's our big turn. Second book of the Bible, all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. All the way back. Curtis is turning there too. Exodus chapter 12, the very first Passover, back when the descendants of Jacob were enslaved in Egypt. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the what? The 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take uh, should take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on their two doorposts, and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh at night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not, any, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you, to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So the Jewish people, they would bring the lamb without blemish, 
literally into their home on the 10th day of the month and care for it and take care of it inside their home until it was sacrificed as the, Pass the Passover lamb on the twilight of the 14th day. Christ's entry into Jerusalem on Sunday evening, the 10th of Nisan, is the lamb without blemish entering the capital city of Israel, of Judah, their home. Christ our Passover was being set apart to be sacrificed for us according to Exodus 12. Now, if you start counting days and you look at what's going on, keep in mind the Jewish days went from sundown to sundown. So that their Thursday evening would be, excuse me, so that our Thursday evening would be their Friday, the day of the Passover. You say, but Curtis, we still have the issue of the priests and the elders not wanting to kill Jesus, lest there be an uproar. Let's look at Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read uh, 1 to 6 to you. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. When he went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him, betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to, excuse me, to betray him to them. And what's it say? In the absence of a crowd. The priests and the officers had their solution to the crowds with Judas's betrayal and the Christ would be crucified on the Passover. There would be no uproar. Understand the triune God can neither sin nor cause man to sin, yet he uses all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he is sovereign, and he is omniscient, and he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb without blemish. In a few short days, Jesus would say, it is finished. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus triumphantly rode into Jerusalem victoriously because he was to conquer sin and death and setting the slaves to sin that belonged to him free. And by his wounds, we are healed. So what are your plans for this week? What are your plans? Because it is Palm Sunday. 
and it is Easter upon us. Take the Passover lamb into your home tonight and spend time in his word this week. And I ask you to read the rest of John from chapter 11 on through the end of the book. That's 10 chapters before next Sunday, two chapters a night. In the end of chapter 20, John writes this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And here's John's purpose for the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so richly blessed by your word. And you are our king. And you are the Messiah. And the lamb without blemish. And your word is truth. And I pray that we would spend this week in your word. Seeing your sovereignty. As the passion weeks, week unfolds. You in control of all things, and laying down your life for sinners like us. Bless these people. They are your disciples. We hold this up to you. In your son's name, amen.